1: Of his generation has apparently done it again. Yeah, yes, it again. The chicken for still sure. all the day. Mother chicken.
0: Nine seconds, eight seconds, seven seconds. Hold the to win another it! He got another one. Another one. Another
2: one. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Happy to be back with you. I'm Alex Golden, and joining me, as always, is my co-host. He has been just all over NBA.com, voting for his favorite player, Bradley Beal. Give it up for Mike Focci. Focci, what's going on? Wow, that is how
3: you're going to introduce me in 2020. (laughs) This year is not off to a great start. That is absolutely false. I'm excited for these Pacers because 2019 was looking a lot better. Alex, we finally got our first win of 2020. Now I'm starting to feel better after a little bit of a rough patch for those Pacers.
2: Absolutely, it was a rough patch for sure, but... Uh, rest assured, the Pacers figured it out. They got a much-needed win on the road against Charlotte, a place they have struggled at several times throughout the past decade that I can remember. Just countless games we lose there that we shouldn't lose. But, Fauci, uh, just looking back over the last three games of the year, I wanted to highlight some things, and I know you did too. So first things first, what's one of the things you wanted to highlight?
3: All of a sudden, the Pacers just stopped rebounding. You know, I had had just hammered it down, win the rebounding battle, win the turnover battle, high percentage you're going to win that game. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the Pacers were out-rebounded in eight straight games. Uh, I thought that that was a major, you know, emphasis on, hey, they need to fix this rebounding issue. You got to fix it quick because some of those games, it wasn't even close. I believe against Miami, they were out-rebounded almost 25. That game was was awful. it was brutal i mean in the end of the game it comes down to if the pacers get that one last rebound they could probably win that game it was it was i know that was a, a while back but hey at this point hey let's focus you got a rebound that's one of my uh, things to emphasizing.
2: well i mean it was only 11 days ago foch and the thing that's crazy is four offensive rebounds by the heat mm-hmm. gave them multiple chances to score a basket Jimmy butler played absolutely terrible that game besides getting to the yep. free throw line it was a game the Pacers really should have won, and Sabonis did not play well that game. So uh, it was a bit frustrating to, to see these offensive rebounds continue to happen for the Heat. But, you know, like you said, I think the Pacers actually did win the rebounding total last night, from what I recall. Did they win or did they lose that one? They they did, but I believe it was by one. Yeah, that's that's improvement, it can, it, considering it they were out-rebounded by it definitely 18. definitely is. So yes. And I want to say this, like, just publicly, like, it's not Miles Turner's fault that these rebounds, that the team is struggling. It's a team effort. It's not just oh, course, a one-person thing. And I've watched several games this year, and if you look, the Pacers just, as soon as the shot goes up, they just lose their man, and, and they crash. I mean, if you watch the Nuggets game, there's one that just glares at to me. It's the Paul Millsap long rebound. I think it might have even been Sabonis that was guarding him on the perimeter. Shot goes up, Sabonis runs to the paint. Well, the ball ricochets and comes right back to Millsap. All you have to do is basic fundamentals. Contest the shot, turn, box him out, go get the ball. There's no boxing out in the NBA anymore. It's just everybody no. runs to the ball. It, it, completely. And they run it. I mean, there's even – that's why there's things like, like
3: a Russell Westbrook who it looks like, oh, my God, like he's this amazing rebounder. But everybody's running the other way and he stays behind, gets the rebound. There's a lot more of that these days. Um, so, obviously, Sabonis is getting his double-digit rebounds per night, but that's not enough. And, no. look, from, from a scoring standpoint, TJ Warren is a human bucket. He is. <laughs> but rebounding-wise, I was actually reading a stat saying of all uh, forwards to play 30 minutes or more, he's actually averaging the fewest rebounds, under four rebounds per game.
2: Oh, look, really?
3: It's hard to be the perfect player so <laughs> offensively. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's shooting over 50% from the field, he, he can score in, in bunches. Rebounding-wise, that might be someone we might need to look at getting a, one or two more rebounds per game. Can we yeah.
2: do that? Well, I don't know. Warren's just not a physical player to me. Like, if he's you not. look up at the makeup of his body, he's just a guy that – he's a finesse scorer. I mean, mm-hmm. Bojan was kind of the same way, but they're both different, completely different. But, uh, I mean, Bojan was probably a much better three-point shooter than Warren. Yeah. But Warren, I mean, his – his paint game is unreal. Like, that flow. It really is. It is. It's such a soft touch. You just have to love what TJ Warren's been doing. But uh, one of the things I want to talk about is Aaron Holiday's struggle of 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, he's been yep. playing significant minutes because Malcolm Brogdon has been hurt with, I believe it's a back injury. So, yes, now
3: it is. Now it is. Right. His is hamstring the back,
2: It's all related. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my thing with Aaron Holiday, it's like, it was funny cuz he had a horrible game against the Hawks. He was 0 of 7 from the might have been O of 8 from the field in that quarter. I think it was 0 of 7 with three turnovers and I just highlighted the the rough quarter that he had. I'm not picking on the guy, good grief. But you got people coming at me saying, "Oh, give him a break. He's a young player. He's just growing." I'm like, "Wait a second. Uh, if we're going to praise him for what he did against Toronto, going up against Kyle Lowry, knocking down big shots in overtime, We have to criticize him when he is deserving of criticism. Sure, I get it. But at the end of the day, he is best used as an off-ball shooting guard. He is not a pass-first point guard. The chemistry with him and Sabonis on the pick and roll was rough. He is a guy that's always looking for a shot instead of looking for the right pass. And that's just the way he plays. Like, I'm not blaming Holiday for being that type of player. That's just who he is. And sure, that's something he could work on. But at the end of the day, fachi, I'm just saying like bad game for holiday, and he's not really been playing well since he's he's shooting the ball like, I think it's twenty three percent over the last two games
3: yeah, I know when you mentioned the last two games, but if you want to stretch it back even further, he's actually eleven of forty one uh twenty six percent from the field over his last I believe it's uh close to the last five games oh wow so. Yeah, so a little bit more of a sample size. D- dates back to 2019. Um, it, it hasn't been the best for him lately. You're kind of starting to see just how valuable Malcolm Brogdon is to this team. Obviously, we know how valuable he is. But it's the you're trying to have Aaron Holiday be someone a little bit more that, that he's not. And when he's logging over 30 minutes a game, it, it's tough. He's trying to improve the ball movement. If you want to just go from an assist standpoint – Averaging over seven assists over his last seven games, but it's the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. Twenty-five yeah. points against the Pelicans, but then he might come out and go one for seven, or, or you know, two for eight, or even worse. I think it was yeah. there was like maybe even like a, a one for eleven or close to it game in there. So it, it's just he's being exposed a little bit, but that's what comes with being a young player. So just as you mentioned before, guys, if we Knock Aaron Holiday a little bit. It does not mean that we are hating on Aaron Holiday. <laughs> if you're going to point out the good, you have to also point out the bad, and we're giving a recap of what's going on lately. So Holiday, Aaron Holiday, that is always got a preface, has shown great flashes of a very good young player. But just as he mentioned, he's better off the ball, looking for a shot than it is trying to get everybody else involved. That's when you really realize just how valuable
2: Malcolm Brogdon is. Absolutely, and I, I would love to hear a fauci uh give me a little analogy of how much more valuable Brogdon is to the Pacers than Aaron Holliday at the point guard position.
3: I mean, off the bat, off the top, it's tough. I, I don't know, but just, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon, that's when you say, it's like, how about this? Real quick, off the top of my head. We call him the president because he leads this team, this country. When Aaron Holiday isn't there, it's more like the vice president calling the shots. Oh, you're like, Lord. yeah, but you're second in command. You know, we appreciate it. But, hey, we miss our leader, Malcolm Brogdon.
2: Yeah, that, that that's pretty good, Foch. I'll, I'll give it to you for being on the spot there. But, all that's right, fine. so we have brought up two things we wanted to talk about. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to highlight in these last three games?
3: Uh I would just say uh dating back to or not or just going back to the Brogdon part. I mean you're starting to see some of these offensive guards feast on the Pacer point guards. Um obviously that shows another bit of just how valuable Brogdon is defensively. I mean Trey Young went off for 41 in this game last time matched up against Brogdon just 23. I mean you started to see Terry Rozier at 28 points last night. Uh and Devontae Graham shot very well. When last time we played Charlotte, when Brogdon was healthy, I think they combined to, was it like three of 20-something from the field? Like Mm. Graham and Rozier were very rough last time around. So I'm hoping that this is not a trend that continues because you don't want to rush Brogdon back. The injuries are piling up across the board. We're lucky McConnell was able to play, but it looked like like he was going to be hurt. Sabonis has had what seems like Two or three minor scares this year, but yeah. he keeps coming back. First, it was a toe injury, then, uh, foot injury. I mean, it's
2: we're getting lucky here, but the injuries are starting to pile up a bit. I, I'm still baffled that T.J. Warren, someone who was known to be injury uh, riddled for his whole entire career, has been the only starter to play in every single game this year. It, it's it's quite interesting, you know. Jeremy Lamb's missed a, a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, close yep. to one third of the season. Turner missed yeah. a big stretch there. So, you know, just getting these guys healthy, obviously, is a big thing. And the other thing that I wanted to point out, Foch, uh, not like I'm trying to be critical because it's not fair to be critical of a guy that's getting sporadic minutes, but Goga Batase just looks completely lost out there on the court. And I use the word timid uh, with how he was playing. He looked like I, I don't have a great Fochism to describe how he looked. <laughs> but it almost looked like Bambi when she's trying to f- figure out, like she sees her mind. Oh, no. She's got those big eyes. She's freaking out. And that's kind of what Gogo looks like when he's out there on the court. It's like he's overthinking every little detail, where he's supposed to be at, who he's supposed to touch a ball, what set they're running, where he's supposed to be at on defense. It's like he's just not playing the game. He's just constantly thinking of what he's supposed to be doing instead of playing and letting it become natural. I mean, he's... Play professional basketball overseas for last, like, five years or four or five years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just play basketball. And, and if they're not going to use him in the rotation regularly, honestly, like, just send him to the G League. I, I know that sounds bad, but I think he's going to develop a little bit better down there getting constant reps and, instead of riding the bench, trying to figure out what he's supposed to be. Because if the Pacers are going to rely on him to be their third-string center of the future, you know, He's just a wasted space right now if they're not going to develop him. And I I think that that's one thing we do with our rookies. Besides Aaron Holiday, if you look at the majority of our rookies that come in, it's almost like we get veterans on the roster that take the rookie's position for development as far as getting court time. Because I think if Goga had been in the rotation all year long, we'd see a much more developed Goga. But because he's not getting run and getting time, he just just looks like a little baby out there (laughs) that doesn't know what he's doing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think the game is just moving a bit too fast for him. And the only way to get up to speed is with more reps. Yeah. I think the G League is something they should totally utilize more. I know they just assigned him to the G League. He'll probably play a game, I believe, it, you know, maybe tonight. Um, But, yeah, I mean, on the season, you're talking about lately, you've seen Goga come in for short spurts. I mean, maybe a, a handful of games you're talking about just two minutes some games are like closer to four or five, and it just feels like he's like picking up a quick foul, and you know you're like, Oh, all right, you know it, it'll take a little bit. Go down in the G League and dominate because mm-hmm. you're seeing guys like Goga and Alize Johnson go down in the G League, put up some big numbers, and then they'll come up and they'll maybe play like two minutes for the Pacers. Yeah. You need to be able to develop him. Obviously, we all hoped more. Goga, And in the preseason, we even saw a flash towards the end of like, whoa. So, yeah, I just feel like right now the best thing that could happen for Goga is to go down to the G League and dominate, get the confidence going. So when you step on the court from right there, you could just see that, hey, this game isn't too fast. You can play this game because we all know he can. So Alex, he's going to be just fine. But reps is everything right now. You're not learning as much just watching. Sure, you're learning. But you have to be able to play the game that you've played, go to the G League, and take care of business.
2: I mean, we saw what it did for Edmondson in the last couple of years. I mean, when he's come up to play for the Pacers, he's actually looked pretty good. Now, it might be different because I think guards develop a little bit different than uh, bigs do. But, um, yeah, I mean, Goga, I'm not sure if I can agree with you in saying we know he can play because I'm not sure what exactly he's going to do in the NBA. Is he just going to be another center? That is, uh, you know, riding the bench uh, He's got skill, there's no doubt about it He's got skill, yes, he's for got sure. talent He's just a little unpolished And so, anyway oh, very much. Anyway, Focci. And enough about that The Pacers, there's no reason to worry I'm not worried about them, we're not worried either We're just looking at, I'm just being a little nitpicky today That's it, Aaron Holland, Guga Our young player is the core, the future Of this team and the bench possibly I just want to see them develop And, and get a little bit stronger Mm-hmm. It's it's not what are they doing wrong. It's how can they improve? Absolutely. So, did you have anything else you wanted to highlight? Or are you ready to move on? No, I, I'd Focci? say I'd say that's good. Let's move on to the next segment. All right, we're gonna come right back with Facts with Focci Get some facts and
3: come back and see. So
0: get your facts right. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth.
3: Alright everybody, we are back with Facts with Fauci, and for my fact of the day, in Justin Holiday's first 393 games of his career, he picked up just two technical fouls. However, on Monday night in his 394th game, he picked up two technical <laughs> fouls and was ejected. Alex, what did you think of Justin Holliday's ejection?
2: To be honest with you, Fachi, I was kind of flipping back and forth between shows because I saw the paces were up by so much and had a good third quarter. I was trying to do some other things. So I honestly didn't see the ejection. I came back, watched like the last six or seven minutes. Once the bonus went down, I had tuned, turned it back on. So I, I, I really can't speak fully on this. But from what I've heard, I, I, it feels like Justin was uh, very upset with what happened. And I guess that he had a right to be upset with the call. But I'm not sure what he said. So were you watching the game? Did you get an idea yeah. of what he said? I don't know what he said. I know he tried to basically
3: step around a screen and he was whistled for a very, very light foul. It seemed like Nate was doing a bunch of the arguing and Justin was chiming in there. And for whatever happened, I mean, there had to have been maybe there were some curse words in there or something. Or well, there had just to the have win- been. Exactly. It's like, did the wind blow just a certain way that the ref said, you know what, you're out of here? But Justin Holliday is not one of those guys who just loses his cool. I didn't think that he really lost his cool. It's not to warrant an ejection, but hey, I mean, the stats show... 393 games in your career, just two technical fouls. Yeah, he doubles that Monday night. He's not that kind of guy. Come on, I don't know if the ref was having a bad day. Maybe his wife's busting his chops a little bit, but <laughs> don't take it out on Justin Holiday and my Pacers.
2: <laughs> why they gotta make it about this referee's wife? Fachi? like, why can't Justin Holiday just be having a bad day? Why? I mean, he got a lot. He got in foul early. Like, let's let's look back at the first half. He picked up some quick fouls. Maybe Justin Holiday was just being a little uh, uh I don't know handsy and the referees were catching him a little bit more. I don't know. It's possible. They they it's could possible, have heard him because there was they could have heard a smack or something when he was playing defense because there was no fans in the building.
3: That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Ironically of uh, of the the random fans that happened to be there, we had some J. Cole. We had some David West, but I think we know that It wasn't really the Hornets that brought, I guess he, David West, former Hornet, but TJ Warren was also probably someone in there really trying to get David West in the building.
2: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, but anyway, Fauci, great fact by you, I completely agree. Justin Holliday, to get to, to double his technical fouls uh, in one game from what he's had in his career, I mean, that just kind of shows you that he just wasn't happy with the way the officiating was going, but with that being said, you mentioned T.J. Warren. Let's move over to our Golden Star Player of the Week. And that Golden Star Player of the Week is none other than T.J. Warren. Over the last three games, I just looked at this last week, so uh, we'll just start from the beginning of the year because it's been a while since we've done this, Fotch. But uh, over the last three games, my man is averaging 24.3 points a game on 53% shooting. He's 36% from the three-point line. Could, could get that up a little bit, but rebound-wise, 57 and uh, assist-wise, of course. It's still a little bit lower than you'd like, but T.J. Warren, he could have a double team on him. There'd be a wide-open guy in the corner, and he'd probably still take the floater because he's just (laughs) not a guy that really sees open guys around him because that's not his game. But anyway, I I just wanted to say that T.J. Warren is deserving of our Golden Star Player of the Week. Um, Could have made another case for Sabonis, of course, but I just felt like it was time to go with somebody a little bit different and allow them to... Get that shine. So what are your thoughts on the Golden Star Player of the Week?
3: I completely agree. And one, you can never go wrong with Sabonis. Had a near triple-double uh, the other night against the Nuggets. Uh, right, he was awesome. And I know he had, yeah, but you got to go with TJ Warren. I mean, he was aggressive last night against Charlotte. And, Alex, look at this. Season-high 36 points against Charlotte, 15 of 24 shooting. Uh, as we touched on earlier, I think you sent out a tweet, no threes in that game. For T.J. Warren. So he's doing it just the old-fashioned way, just getting to the rim, you know, teardrops, floaters, whatever you want to call it, just getting the paint. And I felt like I look back at it. Now his other season high, also against Charlotte, 33 points. He's from there. It's obvious that it meant more to him to be playing against the Hornets. I know you mentioned his family was in the stands. He brought a different type of energy so you gotta give him the player of the week on on just he's been he's the human bucket. I mean, uh, honestly, it. you sound like tell Quinn Buckner right now, right now. I know I did, and I can't get off of it, uh, Alex. If they Quinn did Buckner a jersey nickname on on the back, you have to tell me that on the back, if they did a nickname jersey, it would say buckets.
2: Anyway, um, let's just move on from that. I, I, I just right. found it quite fascinating that in two games in Charlotte, TJ Warren scored 69 points. <laughs> True. Yeah. Hey. 69, Fachi. Exactly. That's a good number,
3: right? And outside of just this week, actually dating back over the last seven games, T.J. Warren has upped his uh, scoring to 22 points per game and shooting about 54% from the field. So it just seems like he's just been that consistent guy all year. As you mentioned, hasn't missed a game, just someone the Pacers can
2: count on to get a basket whenever they want. Yeah, you, you got to love T.J. Warren's play. I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time about the whole buckets thing, you know, because I just – all I can think about is Quinn Buckner freaking out the other night because the Pacers didn't get T.J. going. Got to get T.J. going. T.J., T.J., just stop with the thing. Just like we heard you the first time. You don't got to keep saying mm-hmm. it. like. And sometimes T.J. Warren has bad shooting nights. There's been a couple games yeah. this year where he's completely disappeared. So, oh, anyway, yeah. love us some T.J. Warren. But let's take a quick timeout. We've got our friend, the coach and the insider, Tyler Smith on hopefully a new segment for the shows he can't make. It's going to be called Time Out with Tyler. So here is your first segment of Time Out with Tyler.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? It is time for Time Out with Tyler. Tyler Smith here for Setting the Pace. Looking ahead to Wednesday night's matchup with the Miami Heat. Should be a good one. Uh, These teams obviously played a highly entertaining game in South Beach recently. And, of course, it was Miami coming out on top by one point. But it was an awesome game, and now the Pacers have revenge on the mind. So the Miami Heat, as many of you probably know, they've been a completely different team uh, on the road compared to at home. They're 17-1 at home this year, just 9-9 on the road. Um, But it's an important game for the Pacers to get, one of the bigger uh, January games, honestly, that I can remember uh, in quite some time. And the reason for that is the Pacers are three-and-a-half games behind Miami right now. So you don't want to fall too far behind four-and-a-half back compared to two-and-a-half. Quite different, as you can imagine. Not to mention you do not want to lose uh, the tiebreaker to this team in case that matters uh, later in the year. So Malcolm Brogdon is still listed as questionable for tomorrow's game. He's expected to be a game-time decision. He did scrimmage today in practice. Said he's feeling better, um, but you just never know. A guy that's had some nagging injuries, you don't know if you you want to rush back. Too soon and, and risk uh, getting injured again, but it is such a big game that you just never know. So the Pacers are just six and six when he doesn't play a full game, compared to 17 and eight when he does. So very important to get their floor general back in the lineup. Now the other thing I wanted to uh, briefly touch on today is the chemistry of this team. I mean, we know the Pacers have had great chemistry the last couple years, but. A lot of fans were tweeting me, texting me, talking about how they lost so many good uh, locker room guys over the summer. Of course, you know, Thad Young, one of the best, Uh, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison, Boyan, you know, all those guys were great in the locker room, but I think it is time to give even more love and more credit to Kevin Pritchard and Nate McMillan for creating a culture here of togetherness, just amazing team chemistry. You know, I get a chance to be in that locker room after home games and, and have for the past seven seasons and this year's group might be my favorite yet I mean the guys it's a lot of fun you know win or loss the guys uh, they really pull for each other uh, they joke around a lot after the games they they praise one another which is important for a team they celebrate each other uh, they constantly in their interviews you'll hear them using a lot of the same terminology including they'll use the word unselfishness all the time when they are uh, describing their teammates. So it's awesome to see, uh, personally, Jeremy Lamb and TJ McConnell. Um, they're next to each other in the locker room, and they're the most entertaining. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see them go back and forth um, with each other. Of course, until Oladipo gets back, and then, uh, uh, you know, obviously he's quite entertaining by himself in that locker room. But, you know, as somewhat of an insider, I can assure Pacer fans, this group loves each other. They have a lot of fun. they They're family. And that is, you know, it's great news for the franchise both in this year and in years to come. So January is a very important month. Let's see how the Pacers can do before Victor Olivia gets back. It all starts with a big one on Wednesday night. What
3: up, everybody? Mike Focci here. And if you haven't already checked it out, go to PacersTalk.net for the latest coverage on all Pacer news. We have game recaps, game previews, and everything you can imagine. Let's go, Pacers.
2: All righty. Thank you so much, Tyler, for getting us all ready for that Miami Heat game. It is a very important game. The Pacers do need to win, especially for tiebreaker implications. I know Focci agrees with me. This is a, a huge game for January to play the Miami Heat at home uh, a chance for the Pacers to get even with the heat in the game they should have probably won. So anyway, Fachi, we're going to move on over to our Hoops and Headlines segment. And there's quite a bit of things we want to talk about, but most importantly, the three things we want to talk about, Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, and Kyrie Irving. So Fachi, where do you want to start? Uh, let's go with Kevin Love. Okay, let's talk about it. What do you want to talk about? So, look, Kevin Love's name
3: has been rumored in trades for what feels like almost most of his career. Uh, but now it seems like it's hit that boiling point where the frustration is coming onto the court. I mean, we saw him kind of freak out on Colin Sexton, gets the ball, rockets it to his teammate. And I just feel like he's saying, he saying he mentioned after the game, if you're, like, you could sue me, you know, find me, whatever. I have enough money. And he got fined like a $10,000 fine, which to him is absolutely nothing on like a $30 million per year contract. (laughs) Right. Right. So I don't think he cared about that. But Alex, the frustration is so evident. Are we even going to see Kevin Love finish this season
2: with the Cavs? Well, I think that they would like to move him. I think that he would Mm -hmm. like to be moved. I think it's a mutual agreement that they want to find a deal. Now, I'm not sure that the Cavaliers – will find a deal that they like enough for Kevin Love. And that's kind of the problem that you're going to see when you try to find different trades to get him out of there. Now, what I would look to do if I was the Cavaliers, if he's not happy, maybe just try to dump him for some salaries that are expiring. See if you can get some you know, return salaries that will not be on the books for next year so they can have more cap space and not have to worry about paying Love that you know ridiculous contract that he has right now. But... You know, as far as what's out there, there's just not a lot of teams that really want to throw Kevin Love into their mix and make a lot of sense. So uh, I ended up coming up with a fake trade Fauci just to kind of play around with this idea. And I told you off there, like, I really wanted to put Kevin Love on the Mavericks. I, I was thinking Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee's contract plus the Golden State Warriors second round pick for Kevin Love would be a pretty good deal. I'm just not sure. If the Cavaliers would do that, I don't feel like they'd want two more guards to add to their rotation since they've already got Sexton and Garland, and they just rated for Dante Exum as well. And that second-round pick, yes, it's close to the beginning of the second round, more than likely, but they probably want more than that, and honestly, like I just don't know if that makes sense. And so, the deal I ended up coming up with, I thought about this a couple days ago, it just so happened that Kevin, uh, maybe not Kevin Pelton, I'm trying to think who it was, but... Uh, It was uh, Royce Young. Royce Young, excuse me, from ESPN. Mm -hmm. He came up with this trade offer on the Hoops Collective podcast, and I was like, I was thinking about that, which is just funny. But he he suggested, and what I was thinking is Kevin Love to the Thunder. And the Thunder have been playing phenomenal basketball, and what what I came up with was Danilo Gallinari and Andre Roberson to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Kevin Love straight up. Andre Robertson and Danilo Gallinari are both expiring contracts, so that would help the Cavaliers get off that. I don't know about picks. If they wanted to pick, I think they might do it, but at the same time, OKC's trying to rebuild. But I just don't think they're going to be able to trade Chris Paul. Steven Adams is another big contract. I don't know if they can trade. So I figured just ride it out the next couple, two to three years with these, two, with these three teams. Whatever happens, happens. And, and let Shea, Shea Gilgis continue to develop as a player and then use the draft picks that they have from the Clippers and other teams to kind of rebuild this OKC roster. But uh, if you look at that starting five for the Thunder, it'd be Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Terrence Ferguson, Kevin Love, and Steven Adams. That's pretty competitive, if you ask me.
3: It's definitely competitive. You're talking about a team that's already in playoff position right five, now. Right. Thunder's sitting in that seven seed right now. But this is also a team... Alex, that just acquired seven first round picks from various teams. So many picks. You gotta feel like they can part with one pick because Andre Roberson, we don't know if he's ever gonna play again. He actually's well, been this out is for a the salary last salary
2: dump is what they're basically.
3: I, doing. I know, I know, but it's just like you're not getting anything there. Galinari, yeah, he's a good player. He is. I just feel like OKC is the team that can part with a pick even they if could. it's so so far down the line right, right. i mean they have picks for years so it it could be like a houston pick you know a couple of years from now something like that uh, i think kevin love to okc would be intriguing and i think that that would kind of be a move that would really change the perception of the thunder as this they could be building something here that, that could i don't think they thought they would be this good <laughs> no. and it, and it's not to say that they're Real good, but they're playing some pretty good basketball right now a- in the Western Conference, where at the bottom of the standings there's really no competition for you. Right. I mean, they're three games above the eight seed, and it's so uh, actually looking at four and a half games above the eight seed, and way more ahead of everybody else. Yeah. So if you can make a move for Kevin Love, I think the Thunder is a team that that might want to do that with all the assets that they have.
2: Well, and, and here's the thing: you also got to remember, like Kevin Love went on Instagram said, "I love my teammates, I love this organization. Like I'm not a bad person." He had to do that; he had to stay face because if he's wanting to get traded, teams aren't going to want to trade for a guy that's unhappy. So, you know, personally, like if I'm Jim Beeline and I'm Colin Sexton and Kobe Altman and all these guys, I'm like, I've got to get rid of Kevin Love, whatever it takes, because the morale for these young players, like Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, they don't need to be around a guy that's going to be like that. They need a guy that's gonna encourage them, a guy that's gonna help them develop. I mean, look what Chris Paul's done for SGA and OKC. Like, Chris mm-hmm. Paul knows like I'm not going anywhere because my contract's hard to hard to move and I'm a little bit older, so people don't want to trade for me. But I'm gonna prove OK I'm gonna prove to the OKC fans, like, hey, I'm the real deal. I should be an all-star, which he probably should be this year. Yep. Look at me. You know, and I think Kevin Love would be more apt to play for a Chris Paul and a Steven Adams and a team that's competitively competing. For the playoffs, when you look at a Cleveland team that wants to tank, Kevin Porter Jr. just goes down with an injury. You know, a guy that you really like coming out of the draft. Oh yeah, he's oh, looked yeah. really good. You got Sexton, you got Garland, you know Gallinari, whatever. He's the filler for that year. Whatever. If you want to try to bring him back, that you could probably try and do that because there's not a lot of teams out there that have cap space this summer. But it allows the Cavaliers to really go full tank without tanking uh intentionally by just the buildup of their roster i mean they're still a terrible terrible team but i think losing kevin love probably makes them much worse on paper but it does make them better uh chemistry wise
3: I completely agree now he said that he loves his teammates but does he love his team i think he's tired of being in cleveland i think at well, this duh. point <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, you? you're, you're only getting older You already have the contract. You're locked up. So if you go anywhere else, you're still getting that same money. I think at this point, Kevin Love has come to the realization that at his age, he cannot be the best guy on the team. He can't, and they're they're not going to be successful. So he wants to win. No one wants to spend their their remaining good years on a tanking Cavs team. Uh, I think that he's seen – the, the highest of highs with Cleveland winning that championship and now these are the lowest of lows and I think for John Belon who's trying to build a culture it's not to say that Kevin Love is bad for the culture but you want to start fresh start with you know young guys that you can really you know be impressionable on and yeah. Kevin
2: Love is someone where it's probably hard to pretty much get through to him because he's been around the block. Well, yeah, uh, and, I, I, and he has depression problems. Like, he's already mentioned that in articles for the Players' Tribune. Like, I'm sure, like, his anxiety and stuff like that is just getting to him. He's tired of losing. He's tired of being in Cleveland. It's a boring city. They're not winning basketball games. I mean, he's it's pretty much just a different version of Minnesota, but he's not being used as the guy. I mean, Colin Sexton, I mean, it's, it's funny, but he threw the ball at Sexton because I don't know how many times Colin Sexton has missed him on, on open looks. Colin Sexton is just not a great basketball player, in my opinion. I he's think not. Darius Garland has a much higher ceiling, but I think Sexton's okay. I think he's just a scorer off the bench. That's what I eventually yeah. think he's going to be. But he's not that guy that's going to, you know, find Kevin Love in a pick and roll and do all that kind of stuff. And I think that's why Love is frustrated. It's like Love, literally, there was a Zach Lowe talked about it on his podcast and in an article. Kevin Love literally stood in the paint for like 15 seconds one time because he was just posting up and just stood in the paint for 15 seconds asking for the ball because Colin Sexton would not pass it to him and he had a mismatch. He's like, I don't care if I get called for three seconds because this Dodo out here on the court won't find me when I'm open. Like it's It's just funny to me. I just think that uh, the, the way the Cavaliers have built their roster is kind of funny, and I think they need to make some changes, even with some of the guys that just possibly drafted. Like going Garland Sexton together, come on! They're, they they mm-hmm. they were trying to they are trying to you know campaign that it's the new Portland Trailblazers of the East. Get out of here! Yeah, right. Not
3: not not the case at all. I I think that they're going to experience quite a few years of losing. Uh, I think there's going to be many more high draft picks that come in there. So hopefully, eventually, they get it right. But I'd say uh, we'll close out on Kevin Love and move on to the next topic. Alex, what were you thinking of covering Yeah, let's
2: go ahead and take a break from the trade talk and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving. So the the Nets are sitting at 7th in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're going to be moving any higher, or any lower, anytime soon. But there is some serious concern with Kyrie Irving's uh, shoulder injury, and there's a possibility that he might not return for the rest of this season. He might have season-ending surgery to repair his shoulder I kind of think it makes sense. Spencer Dinwiddie's been playing great. Kyrie Irving, he's only played like 11 or 12 games this year, I believe. I can't remember the total, but off the top of my head. But I do think that Kyrie Irving is really more focused about playing next year with Durant. And that's kind of what Brooklyn needs to be focusing on. October of 2020 is when the Brooklyn Nets might become the contenders of the Eastern Conference with Kevin Durant leading the way. Now, we're still not sure what Durant's going to be, but I think... The reason they put Kyrie and Durant together is because they wanted to play together. And hopefully, Kyrie is, you know, not Boston Kyrie, but more Cleveland Kyrie with um, Alpha Dog and Durant, and they're able to play together. I just think, take care of your shoulder. I mean, look what Paul George did. He had shoulder surgery in the offseason. I think he waited to come back before the season, uh, until the season started a couple weeks in, and he's looked really good for the Clippers when he's played. So just... just Take care of your body. The the Brooklyn Nets are not winning the title this year. Don't force it, and, and just let this year be this year. Alex, what's going on with Kyrie Irving? Because is his heart truly in this,
3: or is it just like, well, I came here to play with Durant, not everybody else? Because I feel like he's just been absent. Like, I felt like there's a lot more that he could be telling the Nets about this injury, because at first it seemed like it was more of a minor injury. Now we've gotten to the point. It's 25 games he's been out for, and he's claiming I, I'm not I'm no doctor, but he's claiming it's not right. I can't raise my arm. Nope. like, I don't know if he's really being 110 percent up front, and it, it feels more like what you're saying of like, are you just not as into this year because of you know Durant coming back next year?
2: So, yeah, I mean it's, it's it's puzzling. It is puzzling. I think that Kyrie got a bad rap for what happened in Boston. I think that it was a hard thing for him to see, like, this young team without him make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then him try to come back and be like, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. And they're like, dude, we just made it to the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals without you. Like, it was Game a, seven. A, It was a weird dynamic. But at the same time, the Eastern Conference at that time was not that good. I mean, the Pacers team that we saw two years ago, that lost to the Cavaliers in seven games, like, they're not as good as this Pacers team's this year. I mean, there's no, no. doubt about it. I think yeah. this Pacers team beats that Pacers team in a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. and probably Way Miami deeper. Six. Yeah, they're just... The East is better now than it was a couple years ago. So I think that that should be a factor in what happened with Kyrie coming back. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure what to think of Kyrie. He's an odd character. There's no predicting who he is, what he is, or what he's going to be. I just know that, personally, it makes sense for him to set out this year, foch I, I think that... Whether he's being honest, whether he's, you know, being transparent with the organization or the organization, uh, knew about this and they're just being quiet about it. I just think like they haven't said one thing about Durant. So yeah. it's like I just think this organization's very hush hush with their injury discussions and like Karis Lavert kind of just came back out of nowhere. So maybe that's just how the Brooklyn Nets operate. I don't know, I'm not there every day. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the Nets aren't winning a title with Kyrie or not. Definitely not this year. Definitely That's not this, mean, year. this year. This year. year. I'm not talking about next year. Because yeah. next year
0: went to rain. Exactly. Who knows? You can't.
2: You can't rule it out. But let's let's finish this out, Focci. Hoops and headlines. We got about six minutes left in this segment. Let's talk about the Detroit Pistons and Andre Drummond. The future looks like uh, it could be where Drummond does not return to Detroit. There was a rumor that came out from Woj about the Hawks and the Pistons having ongoing discussions, but there's still other teams. So, Focci, we both decided to do trade ideas on this one. What was your trade idea that you came up with? So, it was pretty tough because I believe
3: that Andre Drummond opts out of his contract. I agree, too. And I think that he's a player. While he is the best rebounder in the league, I feel like he's not moving the needle as much for teams. So, Giving up a lot of a lot of assets for him to opt out is not really a smart move. Um, one team that I thought could be in the running uh, is Atlanta Hawks, as they mentioned. Woj right. obviously led that off. I feel like the Hawks are a team that is chalk-filled with cap room for next year and young players. But I feel like they also know that if they stay the course, they're going to be in some good shape. So one trade that I came up with was Chandler Parsons, who matches the salary – a young player like Bruno Fernando, who was projected at one point to be a lottery pick and a lottery protected pick, okay, first round pick for Andre Drummond. Hmm,
2: that's an interesting little little trade there. I'm not sure Detroit would accept it. Only reason why is because Fernando and, and Parsons probably won't be anything, in my opinion. Uh, that's going to really, you know, bring them back. But Parsons won't that, be. Parsons definitely won't be. The pick is a little interesting, I think, if you make it like top 10 protected instead of lottery yeah. protected. Okay. That The picks are hard because you're not really sure what to expect from what a team wants pick-wise. You know, at least you're getting some asset for it. But like, if I'm the Hawks at the same time, like, I'm thinking I might not want to do this deal either because why would I want to give up a future pick if I'm going to have cap space to sign Drummond in free agency where I can offer him a good amount of money as well.
3: Exactly. That that's why i went with lottery protected just for Atlanta is really not giving up that much. That makes sense. Bruno Fernando, a guy who slipped to the early second round last year, I believe 34th overall. Um I feel like the pick it's not going to be that big of a deal when you have so many young players for Atlanta and so much cap room that yeah, you could just sign Drummond outright if he wanted to go to Atlanta. If Do you, you can like offer the him fit that of Collins year, and Drummond. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to know. I, I think offensively, I love John Collins' game. Yeah. I love Drummond from a rebounding standpoint. Can, can they be consistently having it work? I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think John Collins is probably going to end up getting a big contract. In a couple of years, going to be a lot of money committed to those two. But for Atlanta,
2: do they feel the pressure of trying to get Trey Young help? Well, remember feels, a couple weeks ago he blew up on him about it. I know it feels blasphemous for Pacer fans that just saw Andre Drummond dominate Turner and Sabonis for three or four games this season uh, to sit here and criticize his game. But mm-hmm. Drummond is not an outside player, and, and in today's not game, at all. He, he's not really a back to the basket guy. He can't shoot the three, so he's limited in what he can do. Terrific yes. rebounder. He's a pretty good passer, from what I remember. He's yeah. good in the pick and roll, good lob guy. You know, he has potential. He's, a, I mean, he's obviously an all-star level player with the rebounding numbers and the point numbers that he puts up. But at the same time, like, if you're running offense for Trey Young and John Collins, like, what does he become? Like, that's, that's kind of my thing. Like, who is this guy with other players around him, you know, picking up more of the scoring load? I, I think that he is a good center, but I, he has to be on the right fit with the team. And I just don't know if there's a team out there that I can see paying him Gobs of money, and another team that makes a lot of dumb moves, in my opinion, is the Sacramento Kings. And, oh yeah, like they they signed Harrison Barnes to a ridiculous contract extension. Uh, nothing against Barnes, I just don't like his fit with the Kings. And then they were almost contemplating if they were going to give Buddy Healed the uh, extension before the season started. And now they have to deal with the restricted free agency of Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's been great for them off the bench. So honestly, like my my big trade was a little bit deeper than that. I ended up going, uh, the Sacramento Kings tried Harrison Barnes, Dwayne Dedman, and a future top 10 protective pick to the Pistons for Tony Snell and Andre Drummond.
3: Here's the thing. I think that Detroit's going to blow it up soon. I think that Blake Griffin is probably going to be shut down for the year and taking on that Harrison Barnes contract. Uh, I think is just something they're not going to be willing to do.
2: Yeah, that I was think... my biggest thing, was they probably won't take on Harrison Barnes. Yeah. But I, I think that they don't have a lot of choices in free agency. And they Barnes' don't. contract is a little bit less than what, um, what Drummond's making. They could possibly flip him for something else. I think that he might be more tradable than Drummond.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I think so that Barnes could be, but, yes, it could be an asset. But you're talking about three, you know, three strong money-wise years after this year on that uh, oh, that Barnes contract. It's fresh, um, so I, I think Detroit. The fact once they shut down Blake Griffin, I think they're looking to trade Drummond, and I think they're looking to try and get off whatever they can and start fresh. It's a team that they're not drawing fans. You're stuck in that classic area of you are just not a playoff team, but you're not bad. And I I think they're going to have to blow it up. I think they're going to be scared to take on that Barnes contract. Uh, So that's going to be the one that's tricky. But I did create a trade scenario with the Kings, if you want to hear it. Okay, hit me. So the Pistons make a deal with the Sacramento Kings. Okay, It's Dwayne Dwayne Dedman, who is very unhappy there. A guy who, you know, coming into this, this season looked like he had more he promise. Got fine
2: because he requested a
3: trade. Oh yeah, he wants out. <laughs> so it's Deadman Bogdanovich in a future lottery protected first for Andre Drummond and potentially taking on Tony Snell. So if yeah. you're gonna take down Tony Snell, that's when it's gonna get a little bit crafty. But you're gonna get a first from Sacramento, which I think that if you protected at lottery protected this year, it could drop down to top 10 next year, and then it could drop down. So it could become valuable down the line.
2: So I don't think Sacramento does this. I think Bogdanovich okay. is too valuable uh, to their success. Could be. Also going to hit free agency. But he's so restricted you, so they can match yeah. any offer they want. Yes. And they've already said that they would be okay with dealing with that come restricted free agency. They are also in – Discussions for Kyle Kuzma and and Bogdanovich might Bogdanovich might be the person they use to make that trade happen, which I think Bogdanovich on the on the Lakers makes a lot of sense because they need some more shooting. So it's a it's a deal. Yeah, it's a deal. I would be a fan of because I thought about Bogdan uh, Bogdanovich Mm -hmm. going to the Pistons, but I don't think the Kings feel like they would want to give up on him for Drummond, and that's that's just kind of sad. But that's where I see Drummond's value at right now. I just think it's.
3: Listen to this. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've taken a look at the twenty twenty free agents coming up, but it is bare bone. That's what I'm outside,
2: saying. Outside it's horrible. Outside
3: of Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond is pretty much the guy.
2: And, and what Sacramento teams pay him that much money. What team?
3: There is always the Sacramento Kings that are flashing dollar bills at just about everybody. And I think that, that he would only pick the Kings if he's getting that fifth year.
2: Well, yeah, and I think the reason the Kings trade for him is because they want to bring him back long-term. They'll have the bird rights. Same with the Hawks. Have the bird rights, and they can get that trade done. But anyway, Fachi, we've gone a little bit longer on this segment than we probably planned on. But anyway, joining us right now, we're going to do a new segment. Once a week, we're going to have this segment on our show called 10 Good Minutes. We're going to have a guest on, talk with them for 10 good minutes, and this time uh, for our first time doing it, it'll be Jake Elrod from the Circle City Podcast. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of them, seen them on Twitter, but Jake does a good job covering both the Pacers and Coles, but we will just be focusing on the Pacers. So, alrighty, we'll be right back. Alrighty, Pacer Nation, joining us right now on the phone line is a good friend of the show, and he is the co-host of the Circle City Podcast. It is Jake Elrod. Jake, thanks for joining us. No
4: problem, guys. Big fan of the show. appreciate you guys having me on.
3: Anytime, Jake. Thanks for joining. So, you know, right now we were talking about the state of the Pacers right now. Uh, One guy who's missing is Malcolm Brogdon. Can you just sum up what is the importance of of Malcolm Brogdon to this team And when do you think we can expect him back?
4: Well, I think before this stretch of missed games, I think that, you know, as much as we've propped him up and really given him his due, I I don't think his impact was really appreciated as much as it should have been. You know, we know about the ability to set guys up set the pace of the offense and really be the engine for the offense, but also his ability to rebound. I mean, we've we've been thirtieth in the league in rebounding and a big part of that is, you know, his size at the guard position and his ability to get rebounds. You know, Trey Young went off against us. And the second matchup, he did a really good job against him. His ability to guard those scores, you know, is something that, that we've really missed. And, you know, just his leadership, his clutch moments in general, I mean, everything that he does for this team has really, really been missed over this stretch. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, Sabonis is having a great season, Warren's having a great season. But at the end of the day, without Oladipo, Brogdon is the guy that makes his team go.
2: And I completely agree with you on Brogdon's importance, Jake. But I have to ask you this, because to me, it, it seems very apparent that Brogdon is uh, injury-prone. Is this something the Pacers should be concerned about going forward? Well, I mean, he's not going
4: to get any younger, and he seems to have had these problems since college. So I don't know if it's necessarily a concern because we have a good insurance policy in Aaron Holiday, and T.J. McConnell played really well. But I do think it, it's going to create an importance to bring in those kinds of those kinds of backups that can spell him when he's out during those stretches, I think, you know, having him for the playoffs is going to be the biggest thing because we obviously have the gunners to be able to navigate through the regular season through the dips without him. And especially with Oladipo coming back, that'll really mitigate some of the issues offensively that, that, that comes about him being out. But I mean, I think for for guys like Aaron holiday and TJ McConnell, it creates more an importance to keep those guys on this roster and really lock at least Aaron holiday up long-term. So we have viable options for these stretches that he misses.
3: Yeah, I mean, speaking of the importance of Brogdon, the Pacers are 17-8 in the games that he's played, at least more than 10 minutes, because we know he's missed, there's two games where he's played a couple minutes and then had to exit, but they're just 6-6 six and six in the games that he has not played. How long do you think the Pacers need to give Brogdon off, you know, time off to make sure that he can fully healed because we saw he came back uh, recently and then immediately left against Philadelphia. He played uh, just a few minutes. What do you think the perfect timetable rested?
4: Well, I think he's already taking those things very cautiously. I mean, some of the injuries that he sat out for a little bit for, he may have been able to play through. The last injury he came through, he said, I'm 100%. I'm ready to go. So, he might have been able to play before that. I think he's already you know, kind of being cautious with those injuries and setting the table uh, to come into the playoffs. But that's something that him and the training staff are going to have to work together with because, again, that's, that's the key area where he ne- we need him in the postseason to be that second scoring punch behind Victor and, and to be able to really navigate this offense because obviously it looks much, much different without him on the court so again, we have the guys in the regular season, but in terms of his availability on a regular basis, I mean, that's something that him and, and the training staff have to get together and make sure that he's not overexerting himself or playing through unnecessary injuries, especially with the depth we have at point guard.
2: When this Pacers roster is fully healthy with Oladipo and Brogdon back in the rotation, do you think this team is deep enough to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, or are they still a piece or two away? I mean, if Victor
4: comes back, I mean, and obviously I don't think anybody expects this this year, but but for long term prospects, if, if he comes back to what he was before, I definitely think they do. I mean, you have now scores uh, across the board in the start in the starters that we didn't have before. The defense is still top ten. So even though we had concerns about Thad Young leaving and and uh, Darren Collison leaving and Corey Joseph, you know, really defensive minded players for the last team, for the last uh, regime. These young guys and Warren and and Sabonis that's been injected in the starting lineup, those guys are doing a good job of keeping this defense in the top ten. And now you bring back Oladipo, who hopefully will at least be 80 percent of what he was coming back by the time the playoffs hit. You know, everybody's really been able to score. The balance of double-digit scores on this team is is as good as anybody in this conference. So if we can get Oladipo back to a respectable level by, by the playoffs, I think we can really play with anyone two through six.
3: I'm definitely excited to see that. As you know, we're, we're counting down to the Oladipo return. Seems like it could be maybe about a month from now. But a topic Alex and I were discussing before was Goga Patase. Now, what are you going to do with Goga? Because we're seeing him play a couple minutes here and there. What is the best route for Goga right now? Because, you know, as you, you mentioned before, rebounding has been an issue. Pacers were previously out-rebounded in eight straight games. I think Goga can help with that. But what do you think the route is to take with Goga right now?
4: Well, I mean, he he took a stint in Fort Wayne and dominated. So I don't know if he's going to get a ton of help in terms of his confidence down there. But I also don't think that giving him four minutes in the first half is doing much for him here. So maybe a stint in Fort Wayne might help him. They put Jakar Sampson in for a few minutes in the last game. With Goga looking as lost as he has, maybe that's somebody they look to re-put into the rotation for the time being as a big that can bring energy, provide some defense, get some rebounds, an aggressive player, because right now Batazi just looks a lot more lost than I think a lot of us expected, especially he had a strong uh, first month of the season when he was in, uh, inserted into the starting lineup and getting minutes with the injuries. He just looks like a different player. I just think the game's moving too fast for him right now. So although he he really dominated in Fort Wayne, I think that maybe giving him another stint down there could be helpful for him and just see if, if one of our other bigs off the bench can come in and provide a little more for us because the, the, I know he can help with the rebounding, but just the way he looks on the court right now, he's just he's just not ready for this moment.
2: Yeah, so I've got a couple more questions for you here, but the one I have to ask you because we're getting closer to it is the All-Star break. And do you think the Pacers get one All-Star voted in by the coaches uh, for a reserve spot this year?
4: Yeah, I, I think Domas is, is a pretty pretty sure bet to get in. I mean, if he doesn't make it, I mean, as Indiana fans, we shouldn't be surprised. We saw it with Lance Stevenson, you know, a couple years back, I think it was 2013, where he had the triple league in triple doubles with mm-hmm. a keep spark on the team and didn't make it and a lot of people felt like it was a snub but you know with, with the Pacers being 23 and 14 with Sabonis really being the engine of this team I mean he, had, he has enough things going for him his raw stats 18 13 and 4 assists are a very rare stat line for a big man I mean he's third in the league in double doubles he, he's in the top five in the entire league in passes second in screen assists. I think he's third in screen assist now but in the top three in screen assists. and you know to, to be doing what he's doing night in and night out he's one of the most consistent players in the league right now I I think he definitely deserves it. And I think Brogdon would have been in had he not had the injuries pile up. It'll be interesting to see if he sneaks in, but I I think Domas for sure is at least a a pretty safe bet to get in as of right now.
3: I think you gotta go with Domas. I mean, we can't have taco fall leading him by that much in the fan voting. It was honestly disrespectful, but I I think the true coaches, the players, they'll they'll do what's right. I think Domas will be representing the Pacers. Come All Star Time. But when you look at this bench right now, who do you think has been the MVP of this bench thus far in the season for the Pacers?
4: I mean, it's it's really a toss up between three guys. I mean, I, I would I would lean towards Doug McDermott because his ability to come in and provide the scoring spark that De- DeMontis Sabonis left coming into the starting lineup is huge. We were wondering who's going to fill that void and his growth to be able to not just spot up and shoot, but to cut, move without the basketball. He's really elevated his game and looked a lot more like the, the dominant player he was at Creighton. You know, he's really giving really solid minutes off the bench, doing a lot of good things. Him and Sabonis with the pick and roll is great. Um, you know, Aaron Holiday has obviously had a really good season, gone through a little bit of a slump here recently, but, you know, he's been in certain of the starting lineup and, and asked to do more than maybe initially we had hoped for and has done a great job, but, but I mean, T.J. McConnell also I mean, his ability to press the the second unit, be able to provide a different pace. I think it really gives a lot of teams trouble to keep up with the energy of our second unit. A lot of that starts with McConnell, so it's it's a really a, a three man race. But if I had to pick one guy, it would probably be McDermott, just because it's hard to find that that solid score off the bench. And you have a guy that shoot forty five percent from three. I mean, that that's a really impressive statistic, and he's really been a key piece of this
2: bench. That's that's a tough question, and I think that's a great answer, but. My last question for you, it's a little bit premature because we're not really in playoff mode yet, but looking at the top six teams in the Eastern Conference, who is your favorable, favorable matchup for the Pacers that you like if they were to be paired up with one of these teams and, and coming into April?
4: Well, and, and by April, we'll probably have Victor back. And so I think that one team that sticks out to me is Philadelphia. That may surprise some people, wow, but they don't have that. that. It, they uh they they don't have the scores outside to be able to really beat us, and with Oladipo providing another outside scoring punch, I think the Pacers actually have a good chance to be able to upset them with our physicality, with our defense. We play a big style also, and I think with, with Brog, if Brogdon's healthy and, and Oladipo's healthy, I think we actually have more outside scoring punches than Philadelphia has. So I think that if there's one team that I would like to see us match up against is Philadelphia. Obviously, Embiid's going to be a problem, but outside of him, you see him when he's not rolling, that this team really, really struggles. I mean, we just thumped them by 30, and then we had some key guys out. So, I mean, it may be an unconventional answer, but when I watch this team, if you're able to contain and beat then this team is is one of the one of the least lethal offensive teams in in the playoffs right now so i would really be interested to see how we match up against them
2: that's a that's an interesting answer because that's not what i was expecting at all i was expecting one of uh three other teams in there but uh anyway i mean that's a that's your opinion i think that they do have some issues with Philadelphia's roster, but um, I just have seen Embiid dominate the Pacers too much to really want to say that's the matchup I'd favor.
4: Yeah, and I understand that. That's an unconventional answer, but again, you saw teams with Giannis doing the playoffs. You know, Kind of trap him, make him facilitate. And, and just from what I've seen from them, they're, they're, their scoring ability outside of him is extremely suspect. And if Victor can come back 80% and provide that outside scoring, that gives us a big advantage in that matchup.
2: Yep, uh, that's, that's a great answer. So we went a little bit over our 10 minutes, but it was 10 good minutes. So you can take on all of our questions and all of your answers were the 10 good minutes. So, Jake, where can people find you at on Twitter?
4: Uh, you can find me at Jake Elrod44. Um, again, I, I co-host the Circle City Sports Pod and, you know, try to give a lot of Pacers and Colts con- content on my page. So, guys, give me a follow and I'll follow back. Appreciate it.
2: Absolutely, Jake. We appreciate you coming on. All righty, everybody. We w- appreciate Jake for coming on. We appreciate Tyler making his first appearance on the podcast of the year. And, Fauci, uh, you know, we need to get some more. Uh, we need to do another episode where we get some more phone calls. I, I think that would be great. Yeah, I think so. Always love hearing from the fans. So hopefully we have uh, some great voicemails coming up because, Miami, we're coming for you. Absolutely. And I, I want to say shout-out to our good friend from Turner's Block, Big Lynn. Uh, gave us a video shout-out on Instagram and Twitter saying, guys, you can call in 24-7, leave a voicemail. The guys will play it on the air. And he's clearly right. If you guys want to be on the show, we'll figure it out now. Obviously, with the way the New Year's been going, it's been kind of hard to get more phone calls and really promote that, but I'm I'm excited, Fauci, and you know, tomorrow uh, the Pacers have a huge, huge game, but so does a team that you're close to, the Washington Wizards, have a tough road game against the Orlando Magic. Are you going to be tuning into that game at 7 o'clock?
3: What I can tell you is, I did not know that game was even happening. Oh, well, shut
2: up, Vachi. Yes, you did. Be- I absolutely am literally did looking not... at you right now. And on the back of your door, you have a huge Bradley that Bill poster. Is, that is the most false statement one has ever
3: said on a podcast, right there, as you. We just witnessed history. I actually have a towel <laughs> on the on the wall behind me. Oh um, please, that is not a yes. towel. That is a
2: Bradley we Bill are- poster.
3: We are on to Miami, all right? Revenge. We are revenging that one-point loss to them. You can't tell me
2: otherwise. True or false, when the Wizards drafted Rui Hachimura, you screamed like a little girl in excitement. Actually, you topped yourself, Alex. That is the <laughs> falsest statement out there. Uh, no.
0: No.
3: Uh, while well, okay. I was not...
2: I, I well, forgot I to bring this up. I was definitely not screaming for Rui. All right? <laughs> yeah, 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 Okay. Uh, well, let me ask you this because I hate that I forgot to bring it up in segment one. What is up with you always wanting revenge games for everybody? Like, we could play the Hornets four times and you'd be like, oh, Jeremy Lamb revenge game. I, you're just always over there tweeting. And every time we do a podcast and we play a former team, you're like, oh, revenge game. Like, can you just calm down with the revenge game stuff?
3: I refuse to calm down. I live oh, for the revenge game. The coldest dish of revenge. And Jeremy Lamb with the double-double against Charlotte. He was ready. Come on. And you know just as we talked about it while it's not revenge, TJ Warren having his best games of the season in Charlotte, it that just means more in it, it just means more in certain environments and I live for a good revenge game.
2: All right, Fachi. All right. Well, anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can follow us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can follow Fachi on Twitter to see his cold revenge tweets at underscore oh, FACCI. Yeah. You can follow me at Alex Golden NBA and of course Tyler Smith is at Tyler Smith underscore ISL. So, we appreciate you guys coming on, and we will talk to y'all later. So, peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go Pacers.